Revelation 4. This is John. John, uh, who has a revelation. We just went through the first or the seven churches of Revelation. And now this is where the true, everyone says the true revelation opens up, where, where John sees a picture of the throne room of, of heaven. Uh, the throne of heaven might be the title above your, your heading in chapter 4. Verse 1, after this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And a voice I had heard, first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And one sat on it had, uh, there had the appearance of jasper and ruby and a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. And they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder and in front of the throne seven lamps were blazing these are the seven spirits of God also in front of the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass clear as crystal and the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and behind the first living creature was like a lion the second was like an ox and the third had a face like a man the fourth was like a flying eagle Each of the four living creatures had six wings and covered their eyes all around, even under their wings, were covered with eyes all around. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with a writing on both sides and sealed with seven, with seven seals. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy? to break the seals and open the scroll. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders and the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which were the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sits on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll And to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In the loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Revelation chapter 21. 
Then, this is the very end of Revelation, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God and he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are faithful or trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of water of life. To those who are victorious, will inherit all of this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, idolaters, and all the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne um, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down in the middle of a great street of the city. On each side the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no more night. They will not need the lamp, a light of, of a lamp or the light of a sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, these things are so awesome, and I am not worthy of them. And so I ask God that you would supernaturally meet with us today, that you'd speak, that we would see Christ, Lord, show us the glory of Jesus in this room, and I pray that the earth would grow strangely dim in light of your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. I, uh, I grew up in the 90s, um, so I grew up on this band called Nirvana, and uh, during, uh, in 1993, they did this, uh, this performance uh, for MTV Unplugged. I don't know if that's a thing anymore, but they, it was a thing. Um, and they covered the song during their MTV Unplugged um, set called The Lake of Fire. They covered it. It wasn't their song. The, uh, a band called The Meat Puppets originally wrote it. But this is how the song opens. I won't sing it. I want to so bad, but I won't because I'm not a good singer, but whatever. Anyway, this is how the song opens. Where do bad folks go when they die? They don't go to heaven where the angels fly. They go to the lake of fire and fry. Won't see them again till the 4th of July. That song's so good. Anyway, um, <laughs> this phrase, lake of fire, it's from Revelation 21. It's about judgment, uh, the two destinies of humanity, heaven and hell. Where do bad folks go when they die? There's two options. There's heaven and then there's hell. And this idea is not necessarily exclusively Christian. Uh, most world religions have something to say about the eternal state or what happens when you die. But you really start to see um, this eternal vision of heaven and hell forming in the Old Testament, uh, especially around the period of the prophets. So in Daniel chapter 12, you see this, this in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Um, he says, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Now, let me stop there for a second. Um, uh, uh, 
the Jew, Jewish faith has had this belief, has this belief that, that at the end of all things, in the age to come, there will be a resurrection of the righteous and the wicked, and the righteous will go to a place called everlasting life, and the wicked will go to this place called um, everlasting contempt or everlasting shame. And so Daniel develops this idea. It says multitudes will sleep in the dust of the earth and they will awake, they will resurrect and God will raise their bodies from the dead and then there's two final destinies, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. This twofold destiny of eternity um, is, a, is a constant reoccurring theme throughout the New Testament as well. Jesus talks about this a lot in Matthew. He says this in Matthew 7. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And the implication there is eternal destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. And the implication there is eternal life. And then in Matthew 25, when he's talking about that great day at the end of all things, he says, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. There are two roads. And most famously here in Revelation, what we read... Uh, those who are victorious will inherit all of this eternal life and I will be their God and they will be my children but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur, that lake of fire. This is the second death. And so these, these, two, destin- these like two destinies and, and so many people have come to believe and come to think that Christianity is basically about being, uh, Christianity can be summed up about being about heaven and hell. And that's what the people think about uh, what Christianity is about. It's not going to hell and going to heaven. Or Christianity is about how do I get to heaven and how Jesus died to save us from hell. And so if you were to sum up what most people believe about Christianity, it's like two destinations, heaven or hell. And although it is true that there are two eternal states or eternal destinations that talk about that are talked about in the scriptures and it's true that Jesus died to redeem us and that Jesus went to prepare a place for us in the eternal state the Bible is not really about heaven and hell we tend to treat heaven and hell as two co-equal counterparts competing for our eternal destiny. So we think that heaven and hell are pitted pitted together in the Bible. Actually, if you look up a modern translation, you will never find the word heaven and hell together, ever. The Bible is not about heaven and hell. The Bible is about heaven and earth. This is so important. It's heaven and earth that are threaded together throughout the story of the Bible. So the Bible opens up like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that doesn't just mean land and sky, though it does mean land and sky. But it means that the land and sky were pulsating with a spiritual reality that God is among us. God walks with humanity in the cool of the day in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And God has made his home on this heaven and earth combination. Heaven and earth are one when the Bible opens up. And heaven and earth will be one again. That's what we're reading in in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. There is a new heaven and a new earth. Did Did you notice that? There's a new heaven and new earth. Now, if you're following the story, you're like, whoa, whoa, wait. New heaven and new earth? That word new in Greek is kainos. It means renewed. There's two Greek words. One uh, for, for new, one means like to, to like brand new and one means renew. And when the scriptures talk about us being new, it talks about us being kainos, renewed. So when whoever's in Christ is a new 
kainos, I renewed creation. Old things have gone. Behold, all things have become new. Renewed. That's the language. And so in Revelation 21 and 22, we get the same renewed language. Heaven and earth will be renewed. We even get this picture in Revelation 22 of the new Jerusalem coming out of the sky to the earth and then God proclaiming in a loud voice, behold, I am making all things new. I am restoring and renewing all things. The story of the scriptures is about heaven and earth. And this is huge and foundational when you start to talk about the reality of heaven. I don't think you can understand heaven until you understand its counterpart, earth. Because we think of heaven as one of two options, heaven or hell, but that's not really the story of the Bible. You actually get no mention of hell in the opening origins of creation. It's not like God's like, I made heaven and I made earth and then I made hell. That's not, we don't get that. We get God made heaven and earth and at the end of the Bible, we get God renews the heavens and the earth. God has a new heaven and a new earth. See, God's purpose is not to get us out of earth and into heaven. It's to reconcile heaven and earth. Or um, one of my friends, Josh Butler, wrote a great book, Skeletons in God's Closet. It's available out there. He uses the phrase, God's desire is to get the hell out of earth. (laughs) And I think that's really catchy and good. I see how it's rippling through and you guys are getting it as it it goes along. That's that's cute. Um, So now I want you to hold on to that for a second. So God's purpose is to reconcile heaven and earth, to remove the hell from earth, remove evil and chaos from earth. Um, That is God's purpose. Now, I want you to hold that in your head and turn to Revelation 4 and 5, where you should be there. And I want want to see and I want to learn about what the reality uh, of heaven is taught to us. What what about the reality of heaven is taught to us in these texts? Holding on to this idea that the, the scriptures are really about heaven and earth and the reconciling of heaven and earth. First thing that we learn, that there is a present and future reality of heaven. There is a present and future reality of heaven. I think that this is nowhere more explicit than when you read together Revelation 4 and 5 and Revelation 21 and 22. Revelation 4 and 5 and 21 and 22 are both visions of heaven. They're both heaven. Heaven is defined as like God's space where God dwells, where he is the center of ultimate reality, where everything bends to his gracious and glorious will. That is heaven. And John is invited into heaven or um, uh, literally like in this other dimension where, where God is on the throne. And Revelation 4 or 5 are about heaven. Revelation 21 and 22 are about heaven. They're both visions of heaven and the reality of heaven. But here's the thing. And I hope that you picked up on it. They're different. Um, In Revelation 4 and 5, there is in front of the throne of God what looked like a sea. There was a sea, and it says it was glassy. It was perfectly calm and clear as crystal. Did you notice that? Before the throne, there was a sea of glass. This doesn't mean that it was glass. It was a sea that's glassy that was perfectly crystal clear. But then in Revelation 21 and 22, it says, and there was no more sea. You're like, whoa, wait. This both heaven, why does one have a sea and the other doesn't have a sea? And then in Revelation 4 and 5, John is found weeping. In Revelation 5, John's crying. Did you notice that? Like, they're looking at the thrones like, who's worthy to to open the seals? And no one was found. John's like crying and bawling. And then in Revelation 21 and 22, there's no weeping. 
There's no tears. There's no more sorrow. There's no more pain. Different. In Revelation 4 and 5, heaven is very concerned about what's going on on earth. Finding someone who can break the seals of the scroll and bring about righteousness and justice on earth. Revelation 21 and 22 is about heaven and earth coming together. It's about being renewed, heaven and earth being renewed. This, among other texts, has led many scholars to talk about a present heaven and a future heaven. If you're taking notes, you might want to write that down. That there is a present heaven and a future heaven. Let me talk about them separately, so um, hopefully you get what I'm talking about. Present heaven is what 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 we see in Revelation 4 and 5. Future heaven is what we see in Revelation 21 and 22. Present heaven is, what, is the heaven that's going on right now. It's like God's space right this second, right now. That's been going on until the end of all things. It's the heaven that what we say is when someone dies and goes to be, that's in Christ, and they die to go be th- with the Lord. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Where do they go? They go where God is. Where is God? Our Father who art in heaven. They're in heaven. Okay, so they're in heaven now, but that's a, that's a heaven that's now. But then there's a heaven that's then. There's, a, there's like a new heaven and a new earth. The present heaven uh, is marked by God, God on the throne. As the center of ultimate reality, you see how it's beautiful, Revelation 4 and 5. Beauty, power, there's this like um, imagery of what happened on Mount Sinai when God gave the Ten Commandments. God's present, there's thunders and lightning and billows of thunder. Like there's, it's, it's precious, there's all these precious stones, beautiful emerald rainbow, um, animated creation around the throne, worshiping nonstop. That see everything, these eyes everywhere, like animated creation, like one like ox and one like a like an eagle and like a man, um, those, those with authority, those elders that are ascribed all authority are actually given all authority over to God by casting their crowns. And they sing these words. They sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They sing that. They sing, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. That present reality is marked by, by God on the throne and God as the center of ultimate reality. But... Present reality of heaven now is also marked by longing. Now, I might seem to be bordering on heresy in some of your minds. Like, you're like, wait, what? I, I believe that from Revelation 4 and 5, we see that heaven is also marked by a longing, a desire, a want. Look at verses, chapter 5, verses 1, verse 1 through 4. And then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one was found to open the scroll. No one on earth, under the earth, or in heaven. And John wept, it said. I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Now, the scroll, what is the scroll? The scroll contains the full account of what God has determined as the destiny of the world. The scroll is the plan for redeeming what what is wrong with this world and judging every hellish, cursed, and broken part of this world. That's what the scroll represents. And what what, what everyone's saying is who is worthy to, to almost unlock God's destiny for the future? Who is worthy to righteously bring justice? Who is worthy who will judge the oppressor? Who is worthy? Who has the character and the love and the wisdom to bring about God's shalom on earth? And no one was found. And then John starts weeping. See, it was supposed to be humanity 
from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, humanity was supposed to partner with God to bring about and to continue his shalom, to subdue the earth, to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth, to fill the earth with the knowledge of the Lord. That was supposed to be humanity's task, but we failed. And then it was Israel's task, and they failed. Who is worthy? And no one is worthy. And John weeps. And then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Now, this isn't like one of the elders was like, John, dude, there's no crying here. Like, stop crying. We're going to get busted. If he got, if, listen, dude, don't cry in heaven. I'm not allowed to cry here. That's not what's going on here. What's going on is like John's crying in heaven, in heaven where there's supposed to be no more tears. John's crying in heaven. And the elders were like, yeah. We want this too. We all want this. We've been longing. We've been waiting for this to happen too. And look, Jesus is worthy. He's the one who has the character and the might to redeem the earth. So they say, see, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll. He is able to to bring about God's justice and righteousness and shalom on the earth. And then you're expecting a, a, a lion, but a lamb shows up. A vulnerable, slain lamb standing at the center of the throne. And the lamb went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four creatures fell down and they sang a new song. I, I've laughed at this verse for a long time. Because I can't imagine like a new song in heaven, how stoked they must have been. They're like, we've been singing that other song forever. <laughs> like literally forever. And a new, oh, new song. This is great. Um, so they get a new, they sing a new song, and the song's about the lamb. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and you've purchased men, you've redeemed men for God from every tribe and language and nation. And you've made them kingdoms and priests to serve our God who will reign, they will reign on, they will reign on the earth. See, in the, in the present heaven, they long for Jesus to make all things new. So going on in heaven right now, going on in heaven right now, there is still a longing for God to make all things new. Let me show you again. Next chapter, Revelation 6, verse 9. So Jesus starts to unopen these seals. He starts to bring about the judgment of the earth and the redemption of the world. And then you get to verse 9. It says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. And they called out in a loud voice. This is happening in heaven. They said, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Just trip out on that for a second. That is, that is going on in heaven. You have souls that have been martyred and unjustly killed because of the name of Christ, and they're in heaven going, Lord, when? How long? How long until you make all things new? How long until you avenge our blood? How long until you judge the oppressor and the people who, who are destroyed? destroying your earth. How long, Lord? Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer. Jesus says, not yet. Not yet. Souls in heaven long. They long for justice and God's righteousness on earth as it is in heaven. Souls in heaven long? This is, wait. Souls in heaven long. See, listen, you're not... I don't, I don't believe that you're more stupid when you get to heaven. If anything, you are more alive to ultimate reality. And the ultimate reality is that God is going to reconcile heaven and earth. 
And those who are in present heaven know, that, and they, will, they want this too. They desire it more than we do. There are people, souls in heaven that desire the reunion of heaven and earth when God will make all things new. In the present heaven, they're still longing. Yes, those who have died in Christ will be with the Lord, and they won't be sad. I mean, these mourners aren't sad. But I believe heaven still longs. Heaven still wants God to make all things new on earth. Heaven, there's still part of heaven going on right now, like when, oh when. There's still part going, yes, I want this reconciliation between heaven and earth. I want to to be where, God, you created us to live forever. And that is with God on this earth. And I believe earth longs too. This this, This physical earth longs. We long. Romans 8, 19 Paul talks about, he says, um, creation awaits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Creation waits for the revelation of humanity to be, to put on like a, a resurrected body. For the creation was subjected to frustration and not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hopes that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and the glory of the children of God. Paul says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning, longing, as in the pains of childbirth right up to present time. Creation remembers when heaven and earth were one. Like like somehow earth, the cosmos, remember when heaven and earth were one. When God reigned on this physical universe and it longs and it groans for its redemption. And we remember too, humanity remembers too, we are all haunted by the memory of Eden. All of us are haunted by perfection. C.S. Lewis once described heaven as the remote music we're born remembering. We remember when heaven and earth were one. We remember what it was like when it was perfection. That's why we labor and work towards it today. That's why we all want peace, because we remember it. We are longing for heaven. Earth longs for heaven and heaven longs for earth. Do you see this pattern? Heaven longs for earth. Heaven goes, when, oh, when will earth be redeemed and it's united? And earth goes, oh, when, oh, when will heaven come and redeem earth and it be reunited? Both of them are, were together and then pulled apart and they long for each other. They look at each other or they, they think about each other and they long because they want to be reunited. People in present heaven right now, souls in heaven right now, they are wait, they're still waiting for the wedding feast of the Lamb, by the way. They're still waiting for it. Like they're in heaven, they're like, oh, I can't wait till the wedding feast of the Lamb. It hasn't happened yet. Because it happens here when God comes back here and redeems everything. Then happens the wedding feast of the Lamb. I've always thought, I used to think that, okay, so when I die, will there be another wedding feast? Everybody's like, hey, Dave died and he's brought in heaven, another wedding feast. Like it says a wedding feast of the Lamb, but it's a perpetual feast, like all the time. Well, because heaven's still waiting for it. It's not happened yet. It's, they're still waiting. Heaven still waits. See, present heaven is not the end of the story. If you are a follower of Jesus and you die, you go to be where God is. That is true, but that isn't it. That's not the end. Heaven is now full of joy and awesome and wonder of God and the Lamb, of course, and they're worshiping, yes, but it also waits for all things to be made new. It longs for that. You might be thinking, why in the world would heaven care about earth? I thought that once you get to heaven, you don't care at all about earth. Like, you just don't think about it. You're like, Jesus, that's it. 
why wouldn't you just get to heaven and not care an iota about what's going on on earth? It seems to be when you read Revelation 4 and all the way through to like Revelation 19, that heaven is very concerned with earth. I'm not saying that the souls in heaven are looking down on everything we're doing, like they have webcams all over the place and you can tune in in heaven. That's not what I'm saying at all. Don't hear that. I think it's more like those who are in heaven know that earth is not reconciled to God yet, and they trust God to one day do so. They want it too. And some in heaven, right now, present heaven, even petition God and say, how long until you bring justice on the earth? This, this, what really strikes me about Revelation's vision of present heaven, Revelation 4 and 5, is it actually places a huge concern for the earth. It places a huge concern about what goes on here. Heaven is very concerned what's, what's going on here on earth, and why is that? Why would heaven even care that earth is still corrupt and broken and shattered and wounded and cursed? I was taught that heaven was the last place you thought about earth. Why in the world would heaven think about earth? Think of it like this. Here's an illustration. Think of it like this. Imagine someone flees their war-torn country as a refugee. And they make it to a good land, a hospitable place of opportunity and peace. And they're in their land, and you walked up to them, and you ask them, do you ever think of where you're from and where you might have friends and family still there? And do you long to see that country restored and redeemed? Ask them about that. What do you long to happen in your country that's been war-torn and injust- the injustice that you experienced in your home country? Do you still long to see that restored? Why in the world would you think that people are more stupid in heaven? Don't we long for earth to be restored? There are, there's a longing still in heaven for earth to be restored. I think the biggest critique that people have about Christianity when it comes to heaven is that heaven is not concerned with earth. There's actually even a saying that you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. But if you would really, if you would actually take time to study, heaven is very concerned about earth. Revelation seems to say that those in heaven have a huge, have like some sort of awareness that earth is not made right yet and they want it to be made right. They have this longing and it's a redeemed longing. It's not like a sinful longing like we have. It's a redeemed longing, a longing that has all of its faith and confidence in God and the Lamb to make all things new. And no matter how chaotic things seem to get on earth, God is still on the throne. Now this is another very interesting point. Did you notice that there was a sea in the present heaven, and there was no sea in the future heaven. Did you notice that? Heaven, or the, the sea in the scriptures is, a, is like a symbol. It's a, um, it's a metaphor. And it's, it's pictured as chaos or evil. Chaos and evil. When, whenever you, when, there's a metaphor that goes throughout the Bible, and it starts in Genesis 1, that the sea is chaotic, unpredictable, and evil. Uh, Genesis 1, 1 opens like this. Um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the sea. The picture there, the Hebraic picture, is chaos. And when God created everything, it was chaotic, and then God brought order out of chaos. And he divided sea and land, and he told the waves where to stop. 
Um, in Genesis 6, 8, God floods the earth to judge it and renew it, and it's judging chaos and evil. In Exodus, the children of Israel are backed up against the Red Sea with nowhere to go. It's chaos, and God makes a way. In the book of Daniel and in the book of Revelation, during the time of the Great Tribulation, there's these monsters who make war against the people of God, and they all come out of the sea. In the biblical theology, in biblical theology, the sea is dark and fearsome place where evil emerges and threatens God's people. And so in John's day, people feared the sea. It represented the forces of chaos that are always trying to suck the orderly cosmos back into void. So you might find it very strange to see that there's a sea in present heaven. And before the throne of God, there was a sea. Like what is the sea doing in heaven? But notice that it was perfectly calm. It was clear as crystal. It's like the reality of chaos is still a reality in the present heaven, but God is still using it to redeem, and even, even, even chaos has ultimate purpose in God's rule. And God still and can use, if you read the rest of Revelation, God still can use and redeem chaos. Before the throne of God, there is still chaos, but God knows how to tame it, to calm it like Jesus did the Sea of Galilee and redeem it for his purposes. That's present heaven. Some have even called present heaven intermediate heaven to show that it's not the end of the story. So what is the end of the story? What is the end of the story? The end of the story is future heaven. Future heaven. Future heaven is what we think about when we think about heaven typically is found in Revelation 21 and 22. In Revelation 21 and 22, the first thing that you'll notice is that heaven isn't somewhere else. It's here. It's on earth. Heaven is on earth. Revelation 21.1 says this. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Do you see that? There was no longer any sea. First of all, the word new there is, again, the word kainos, renewed. God renews heaven and earth. And then he says the old order of the first heaven and the first earth passes away. It's now renewed. How is it renewed? How is it a new heaven and a new earth? How did God renew it? There was no longer any sea. Not only was, there, there, not only was the reality of chaos or evil removed, but the possibility of chaos and evil are removed. There was no more sea. Now, some people think there won't be an ocean in heaven because, like, they like surfing or something. They're like, oh, that's a bummer. There's no ocean in heaven. That's obviously not what it's saying. That's because there will be surfing in heaven, and there will not be great whites. <laughs> or if they are, you can surf on them, and they won't eat you. Um, there is no more sea, meaning there is no more chaos. Like, God removes it. See, listen. Present heaven is when... The, those that, uh, Paul says this in, in, in Thessalon- to the Thessalonians, he says to them, um, when we mourn, we don't mourn with, with, with people that have no hope. When people die and go to be with Christ, we have hope because we will see them again. We have hope because they're with God. That is so comforting and so hopeful. And when people get to heaven, you have to realize that's not the end of the story. That isn't like, oh, I get to heaven and I'm like a spirit and I just float around in heaven and like hang out and sing songs with like, a, with like a banjo or a harp or like a guitar or something. Everyone had an instrument. We're all singing there. That, like that's not, that's, not, that's not where the end of the story lies at all. There's a present heaven to be with God. And then when you're with God in heaven now, there's a part of heaven that still 
wants to see the redemption, the full story redeemed. God ultimately ruling and reigning forever and ever and ever, everywhere, everywhere. And this is called a future heaven. When God makes all things new, when he judges and removes evil, and because everyone longs for judgment and justice on this earth, we say to ourselves and we say this out loud, can someone please do something about all this mess? And God says, yes. Revelation 21.2 says, and then I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So notice that heaven comes down Heaven comes here on earth. Heaven comes to earth. This means that, what this means is that heaven is earth's healing. Earth will be healed when heaven enters into it. Earth will be healed when the new Jerusalem that speaks of God's rule and God's presence, it comes down and touches earth. And when that happens, earth will be healed. It means that earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal that heaven won't heal. Heaven will heal this earth. Old Testament prophets said a great many things about this day. The Old Testament prophets said that in Isaiah chapter 2, he says that people will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks on that day. We, We say this, may there be peace on earth. That's what they're talking about. Where we take our guns and we turn them into hammers to get busy building towards God's intended world. Isaiah describes this day as a feast of rich food for all peoples because God will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. God will wipe away the tears from all faces and remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. He says that on that day we will build houses and dwell in them, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. We will not labor in vain, nor bear children doomed to misfortune. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. And the lion will eat, eat straw like an ox. Like everyone will be a vegetarian. Somehow, I don't know why. Um, <laughs> and they will neither harm nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Now, if you're reading this, it sounds a lot like heaven on earth. You're like, well, heaven sounds a lot like heaven on earth. Because it is. When the Bible talks about heaven or future heaven, ultimately what will happen, it doesn't talk about a non-earth. It talks about a renewed earth. Heaven will be more real, not less real, than this present earth. It will be here on earth. And this is the hope that we have. That when we sing all these songs that we sang first set and the songs that we will sing this next set, and when we join, when we link up to the chorus of heaven, we still, and heaven still, worships God, its creator, and with that says, make all things new. Make it new, God. I think there is, I think there is a bit of, of heaven when those that we've loved and that have gone before us in Christ and they're in heaven and they have Jesus and they have the angels and all the saints that have gone before them that it's so amazing and glorious but then there's still a part of them that goes, um, God still hasn't made all things new. There hasn't been the reconciliation of heaven and earth. And frankly, the people that I I still love, I want to be reconciled to. And this is what we see as the present heaven even happening today. That it's amazing and awesome. And right now what's going on is beautiful. But what's also going on is like, God, make it new. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. 
make this earth renewed. May heaven heal this earth. May there truly be an absence of war and guns and crime and oppression and racism and sexism. Take it all away, God. And what we get guilty of doing is not giving a rip about that happening because all we want to do is go to heaven. But I think what's going to happen, we're going to get there and we're going to still want the same thing. Make it new. Make it new, God. Make it new. And this is why we work towards it today. This is why we're still on this earth. We're still on earth, cursed, bruised, broken. And Jesus left us with this great prayer. He said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The great Christian prayer is that the division between these two realms would cease. The great Christian prayer is that heaven and earth would kiss, that heaven and earth would marry, that heaven and earth would be one again. The hope of heaven is that earth is restored and the hope of earth is that heaven would restore it. And so John is given this revelation to make us fit for that future reality. How do we get fit for heaven? The lamb is how we get fit for heaven. Notice the lamb dominates all the language of Revelation 21 and 22. All the language is dominated around the lamb. Anyone who gets into this heaven must be found written in the book of life of the lamb. The lamb's book of life. Those who have identified with the lamb's death Life, death, and resurrection. There will be several of those people that will do that in baptism right after this service. Those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Those who have identified with the Lamb. It says in Revelation 21 and 22, the wedding feast is called the wedding feast of the Lamb. Those who are there in heaven are called the bride of the Lamb. There is no need for sun or the moon because the Lamb is its light. The people of heaven are people of the Lamb. They're Lamb people that have lamb power, people who have come to love and follow the lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who claim lamb power, not oppressive power of wealth or politics or war or competition, but the power of the lamb is service and love and sacrifice and devotion and faith. You are worthy because you were slain And with your blood, you purchase for God people from every tribe and language and people and nation. You are worthy. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. The lamb. This is how we get fit for heaven. This heaven, this this new heaven and new earth will be ruled and lit by the lamb. And how we prepare for it today, how we live in light of it today, is following this lamb. By giving our, our lives for and to this, the lamb, it gave, for, because the lamb gave its life for us, we respond to it, we follow this lamb, and we begin to mimic or act to, like this lamb, to be Christ-like, to follow it truly. And he is worthy. He's worthy now and he will be then and God is reconciling heaven and earth and what he's called us to be as land people that are in that kingdom program now 
who are part of that inbreaking kingdom of God now, that heaven coming to earth now. We're of those kind of people now. May that be true of this church. Let me pray.